some air conditioning going to get warm out there. Now, look, if you're from Florida, this is not warm weather. <laughs> brother, brother Dennis, I know, has been uh, away in the southern land. You like it up here, right, during the summertime? Yeah, amen. All right, John chapter number four, and we have had a great VBS, been a really, really good time, um, and a lot of gospel seed has been sown. Uh, we've had a number of visitors uh, come that uh, have not yet made that decision as far as we know to get saved, so pray about that if you would. And I think our kids have had a blast as well. So uh, clearly, we do not decorate our church like this every Sunday for anyone that's visiting. All right, this is not normal. Um, I think some people would not mind if it stayed this way. Um, but uh, that said, we, we got just enough room for me to walk around here, and that's all I need to preach, so we're good. John chapter 4, going to start in verse number uh, 19. John chapter 4, starting in verse number 19. And what I want to start off with is the thought that when God reveals things to people, He doesn't always reveal everything at one time. Uh, and there's, there's, a great, uh, there's great wisdom in that. Now, if you want to take a, a look at the greatest soul winner that there ever was in the Bible, it's Jesus Christ Himself. He laid down His life. I mean, he, uh, listen, we talk a lot about things we want to do or things we believe. Uh, he backed it up with His life, right? He didn't just preach it, He lived it out. Um, but, but one of the things that I, I, I want to uh, call your attention to here in this chapter is something that the Lord does, and I think there's, there's some great wisdom in what He does. He doesn't just unload on her and tell her everything at one time. He has a conversation where he asks her questions and gets her thinking and gets her talking. And, and if you're ever going to deal with people about the gospel, and we challenged our, our kids last night and said, hey, if you were on Noah's boat and, and you, know, you uh, experienced 40 days of rain and, and uh, all that, and, and you narrowly escaped in that boat, and then you get to dry land someday, you are going to talk about that experience, would you not? It would be normal for you to, to, to talk about it because you experience something that's great. Uh, you'd want other people to know, this is what I went through. Look, people go to a Super Bowl and they take a million pictures of it and say, here it is online, this is what I did. It doesn't matter anymore, forget the Super Bowl, if you had breakfast, you're taking pictures of your breakfast and putting it online going, look what I'm eating right now, right? If you're willing to do that, maybe open your mouth about Jesus Christ as well. That's kind of the idea. But, but when you do that, understand this. People can't handle everything you know about the Bible at one time. And when I, when I was first, I got a friend that I went to Bible school with. I haven't seen in, in over two decades here with us today. I'm really excited about that. Uh, and uh, you know how he started the conversation? I have my back turned. I'm putting notes on the, on the board. He goes, uh, you guys uh, don't preach the Bible here, do you? And I'm like, who is this jerk asking me that question? <laughs> And it's my friend, right? So anyways, uh, you know, uh, I remember when I graduated Bible school, when I would talk to people, oftentimes, not because I meant to, but because I was so excited about everything that I knew, I would kind of throw up everything I knew at them at one time. People can't handle that. Let me give you this as well. Uh, when someone gets saved in our church and, and you see that they are uh, struggling, all right, understand that's normal. I've got a six-month-old baby. She's not going to have the same capacity as what I would expect from Joe. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe. So, so you, you understand there are stages and seasons of growth. And uh, look, when, when people first get saved or people are first coming into a Bible-believing church and they don't know everything that you know, you don't have to teach it all at one time. Uh, you can take your time with people, and I think it's important to do that. Look at John 4 and verse number, it's called wisdom. 
It's not compromise, guys, not to tell everyone everything you know at one time. It's called wisdom. Uh, 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 the Bible says a fool uttereth all his mind. You know what that means? You don't have to say everything that goes through your head. Well, amen, amen. Okay, well, let's park there for a little bit. Amen, all right? I mean, like, we, sometimes it's like, if it's in here, I gotta get it out. Not always. Sometimes you gotta keep some of that back and kind of watch and understand. Uh, uh, in sales, they say, learn, know the room. Feel, uh, uh, what, what's, the, what's the real phrase there? Read the room, thank you. Read the room, kind of look around and understand what's going on with the crowd you're speaking to. The Lord understood this woman was someone that was deep in a sin, and I think if you look at the story, uh, learn something else about her life. She was uh, spiritually thirsty, and he deals with her about that. Uh, and, and let me say this before I jump into the passage, all right? Um, there's a tendency, let's be honest, there's a tendency on our part, uh, if you're normal, and I don't mean that to be funny, but if you're normal, a lot of things that are going on in the world today are going to kind of drive you crazy. And if you're not careful, what you're going to do is you're going to, take that sense of, I don't like the way the world is going, and direct it directly at the person who is going in the wrong direction. Now, what I mean by that is this. Oftentimes, when people are messing around with sin, and they're in all kinds of messed up stuff, and I'll just leave it there, you know what the real problem is? Uh, you can get in their face and yell at them and call them all the stuff that you want to call them. That's not going to fix the problem. Do you, do you know what the real issue is? They're thirsty and hungry spiritually, and they haven't found Jesus Christ. They haven't found truth. They go, well, some have found and they rejected them. That, that's true. I understand that. But why don't you approach it from given the opportunity of let me at least give you the gospel before I tell you everything I think about you. And you know what Jesus saw in this woman? He addressed the sin in her life. He didn't just let it go. Uh, there's no, there, you can see that. He, he asked her, do you have a husband? And she goes, no, I got five. He goes, yeah. Uh, she goes, no, I don't have a husband. Yeah, you don't have a husband because you got five, Right. And she goes, I perceive that thou art a prophet. You know, ding, 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 you got it, you know. Uh, but the, the idea is this. He did not just go right into her and say, hey, you're living in sin. Is that where he started? No, you know what he said? He said, uh, hey, uh, you ever heard about this thing called living water? <laughs> and she's like, well, what's all that about? And he eventually gets to address the real issues of her life through a genuine conversation. Look at John chapter 4. John 4, look at verse 19. I want you to see this, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now, uh, go back, if you would, to verse number nine, verse number nine. And what I want to show you over just a couple verses here real quickly is that uh, what the Lord does is he allows her to come to the right conclusion by having a real genuine conversation. But it's in stages. It's not all at one time. Look at verse nine and notice what this woman says to him about his identity. All right, the first thing she notices about him is in verse 9, she calls him, she says, thou being a what? A Jew. So the first thing she notices is a national identity. Then look, if you would, at verse number 11, all right, the woman said unto him, what's the next word? Sir. You know, what, what is that? A little bit of respect. There's just some, some uh, conversation flowing back and forth. Then in verse number 19, she goes, I perceive thou art a prophet. Now look at verse number 25. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, when he is come, he will tell us all things. And then look what Jesus Christ says to her in verse 26. He did not start there in verse number nine. Guys, if, if, think about this. This is how sometimes we are. Uh, she, he reaches out, or she says, I perceive, how is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a Samaritan? He did not stop and go, ho, ho, ho. I'm not just a Jew. I'm the Messiah. I am the Jew. And you need to recognize that. He didn't start there, did he? You need to take note of that. 
All right, there, there's some things that you don't have to kind of push on people right away. Allow conversations to flow. And, 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 and use, Jesus Christ says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And uh, look, there are some times, I'm not saying there's not a time for this. If you've got 30 seconds with somebody and they're about to walk on a bus and you're never going to see them again, hey, I'd like to give you something that's going to tell you about heaven and hell. I don't want you to go to hell. I, I'd, I'd want you to go to heaven forever. Read this, check it out, be open-minded, see you later, you know, and whatever, right? That's different than someone that you have a, a chance to sit down with and talk with them. Uh, we've had some visitors come to VBS. And, uh, you know, the, the first conversation is not necessarily, are you saved? Uh, you know, some of it is, how, you, how are you doing? I'd like to learn more about your story. Where'd you come from? Okay, yeah, my, I got to talk with someone last night. Fun fact. This is wild, guys. This is how the Lord works. In 1991, uh, my dad was sent to Kuwait to fight an Operation Desert Storm. Started as Desert Shield, switched it to Desert Storm. For those of you that are children of the 80s and 90s, you might remember that. And uh, anyways, while my dad was fighting in that war against the Iraqi army, all right. Uh, one of our guests last night, her dad was fighting on the other side. And you know what she said? They all thought it was Saddam's army. He didn't even want to be there. He didn't think it was right. He thought the Kuwaitis were our neighbors, but he was part of the army. And I thought to myself, what a wild thing. You know, nearly uh, about 30 years ago, our, our dads were fighting against each other, so to speak, in a war. And here we are in a Baptist church in America uh, having an opportunity for the gospel to be preached. Is that not awesome? That is amazing. If there's one uh, saving grace for America, it would be that God can use some of that melting pot for the gospel to go out. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. But my, my point is this. You don't always have to start right in. Use some wisdom with people. The Lord did that himself. Now, if there's anybody on this planet that I think would have merited the, the right to just start in with, hey, what's your problem? Why are you living like that? It would be him. And yet he didn't do that with her. All right. Keep that in mind, not just with lost people, but also Christians that are babes in Christ. Look at verse 29. Verse 29. Uh, come, now, look, look what this woman does. She leaves her water pot, verse 29, and she goes out and talks to the people of the city. And in verse 28, it's clear she doesn't have a lot of lady friends. Do you get that? She's saying to the men, you know why? Because those are the people she's hung out with, and you understand why. She was longing for something. Now, for the first time in her life, she's meeting a man that didn't want that thing from her to have a relationship, and she goes, that man's unique. That man's different. And she goes into that town in verse 29, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the what? The Christ. So again, what I want to point out to you is uh, it's no different. Those of you that have been saved and in your Bibles for years, there are things that you understand now, and you can explain to others that you could not 20 years ago or five years ago, or ten years ago. Um, listen, if I were to say, uh, everyone in here needs to stand up and explain uh, the seven mysteries of the New Testament. Some of you could, and some of you couldn't. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're not a good Christian. It might just mean you haven't learned it yet. And so the idea is this. God is going to take you, if you're willing. Now, here's the, here's the other part to it, though. If you want to continue and grow, you have to be willing to have the hard conversations with the Lord which is what this woman did. As he's asking her questions, she's answering. And eventually, as this thing unfolds, she comes to the conclusion, man, this is the Christ. She got to the right conclusion, but it took her a little bit of time. And some people need that. The idea is this, guys. Uh, give people some room. Look at Isaiah chapter 28. Give people room to grow and remember how God taught you. Isaiah chapter 28. 
Isaiah chapter 28. Uh, sometimes we'll have, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 either a Bible study or we'll have a discipleship class. And someone's in discipleship class and they'll say, turn to Zephaniah, turn to Zechariah. And they're, you know, they're not there yet. And I'll say, okay, guys, uh, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. If you go to the right of it, you're going to find the New Testament. If you go just a little bit to the left, uh, I, I remember one time someone was picking on someone because they had the little Bible tabs, you know, little places where you can find the books of the Bible. And I'm, I'm going, what, you're, what are you doing, man? Like, I'm thankful they even have a Bible. Shut up. You know, they got a Bible and, and they're learning and they took the time to go to a Bible bookstore and get the tabs. Praise God for that, right? Eventually, you'll learn the, where the books are without the tabs. Look at Isaiah 28. Look at verse number uh, oh, verse uh, 12. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. It's, it's a similar passage to something we're going to read in our, our morning message, but look at verse 13. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line. You go, God's repeating himself. Yes. You know how you learn some things from the Bible? Repetition. Over and over and over. And there's some of you that have heard things up, up a thousand times maybe. And you know what I'll tell you? Listen to it the thousand and first time. All right, uh, line upon line, uh, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall back or be broken, so on, so, so forth. Now, these folks who aren't listening to it, if you're listening to it, the way God wants to teach you is little by little. And that's what he does with this woman. Go back to John chapter 4. Look at verse number 20. Verse 20. Let me save you a, a, a lot of time in your Christian life. You know what the Bible says um, over in Ephesians? Uh, look at John 4 and read verse number 20. And you'll notice that she says, uh, ye say uh, that uh, we ought to worship in Jerusalem, but our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And there's this argument of national identity going on here. Uh, and so uh, when, when don't, let me say this. When people get into arguing opinions, you say this, I say this. Can I encourage you to do something? Don't waste your time. It, it doesn't mean you can't have a conversation with it. It just means don't, don't argue with that. In other words, you know what? The Lord kind of redirects. He goes, lady, let me tell you something. Uh, true worship is, has nothing to do with where you're located. And he keeps the conversation going. He doesn't go, well, you know what? My fathers are right and your fathers are wrong, right? He doesn't do that. Now, he does mention salvations of the Jews, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but uh, you know what Ephesians 5 says? It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Uh, I know I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. Uh, arguing with a stranger on the Internet is like taking a toothpick and stabbing your eyeball over and over and over. And then saying, why does my eye hurt? <laughs> right? Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, it. It's one thing if someone has a genuine question about the word of God. Talk to them offline. If someone's that sincere, you can talk to them offline. I can tell you right now, arguing with people going back and forth, you're not proving anything. Well, I'm going to show how much Bible I know. All you're doing is you're showing to the outside world that Christians are a bunch of people that want to fight with each other. All right? Don't do it. Uh, the, the idea is this, in, instead of saying ye say this and we say this and I say this and my church says this and my pastor says this and your pastor says that, get back to what does the Bible say? Now, now look, if it worked for Jesus Christ, it'll work for you. It is written, it is written, it is written. And uh, people have come to me and say, what about the book of Jasher? What about the book of Enoch? You know my answer is, did God put it in that book? And if the answer is no, then it's not written for you. <laughs> it is written, it is written, it is written. That's where the power's at. All right, so rather than saying, well, I think this, and you think this, and we think this, no, stop all of that and go, well, this is what the Bible says. 
All right, and don't make it. I've had people say, well, you know, uh, uh, I'm Catholic, and so I believe this. And it's like, well, great. I'm first off, number one, glad that you're glad that you have some kind of understanding of who God is. Uh, if you're going to church, I'm glad you're going to church doing something. That that's good. You say, what is it? You go, well, pa- pastor, they're not going to the right church. Well, th- don't worry about. It. That's not the point. The point is, you want to show them you care about them. And let me just say this much, in the world in which we live today, if someone actually does go to church, even if it's not the right one, you ought to use that as a reason to say, man, let me keep this conversation going. I appreciate that you have at least enough interest in spiritual matters that you're going to church. Now, from there on out, you can talk about what the Bible says. When you go in with a sledgehammer and go, yeah, well, I think, bam, you cut off the conversation from the beginning. All right, so again, using some wisdom, don't go into that arguing back and forth. Just go to, to, to the Bible and say, what saith the scriptures? Look at verse number 22. Verse number, uh, ver- I'm sorry, verse number, go back to John chapter 4 and go to verse 20. John 4 and verse number 20. And notice uh, what goes on here in this conversation about worship. Now, worship is a very, very interesting subject in the Bible. Uh, I think for the modern um, uh, Christian, I'll say at least for... Uh, I can't speak about the rest of the world. I don't live in the rest of the world. But I know for the modern American Christian, when we say worship and we're thinking about church, automatically we think about music. Is that, is that fair? All right. Most of us, when we say worship service, we're thinking about the music and, and, and the, the time of praise. And, and whether it's a special or whether it's all of us singing as a congregation. Some churches have a worship uh, group, whatever. The, the different churches do different things. The point is this. As it relates to genuine worship, you ought to ask yourself, what does the Bible mean by that? Because obviously, they're, they're, they're going to have this conversation that goes back and forth where she's talking about, well, we do it this way and you do it that way. All right, look at John 4, verse number 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, I'm going to get to the verse 22 in a moment here, but let's just move on from that thought. Uh, look at verse 23 and verse 24. But the hour cometh and now is, we'll dive into that, that subject of the hour coming and what that's related to, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Can you believe that God's actually looking for something? Now, uh, my daughter and I, Ariana and I, were kind of like, uh, alike in this matter. Uh, we lose things everywhere we go. So I think probably a third of our life is spent looking for things, right? Uh, but, but the Lord, when he's looking for something, it's with intention and purpose. Uh, first time God looks for something, you know what it is? It's Adam in the garden. And God wasn't like, oh, I lost Adam. What am I going to do? It was more for Adam's benefit that Adam knew that God was looking for him. You understand that, right? Genesis 3. Here, it's very similar thought. Look at verse number, uh, at the end of verse 23. For the father seeketh such to worship him. Do you realize when you come, whether it's at church or at home in your altar time, your prayer time, your devotion time, uh, your conversation with your spouse, the way you engage with your children, uh, what you think about all day long, what you're doing in your car when nobody else is around, when your mind is starting to drift and you're daydreaming, all of that should be considered part of you worshiping God. And whatsoever you do, whether you eat, therefore, or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Isn't that what the scripture says? All right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Well, if that's the case, your body is a vessel. It is a temple. It is a tabernacle. You are God's mobile home. Now, some of you are like, well, I'd rather be like, you know, upscale mobile home. Fine, whatever you want to be. But you're God's mobile home. Wherever you go, you take the spirit of God with you. Your body ought to be a place of worship. Let me ask you a question. 
if, if, th- if you walked in here and there was a big uh, party and we had a DJ and people were getting hammered all over the place and you, in, in church and you walked in and you saw that, wouldn't you go, this isn't right, this is church. This is the house of God. Your body's the house of God. So everywhere you go, it ought to be a time of worship. You know what you do? Now, I'm, gonna pick, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm trying to help you understand this. Most of you are probably, I don't care what label you call yourself, non-denominational, Baptist, whatever else. Uh, uh, most of you are more Catholic than you realize. I, listen, I can talk a little bit about that. I came from that background. You know what we did as Catholics? The, the, you eat the holy bread. You have the holy water. Everything that's holy is at church. And then you do whatever you want to out there. And then you come back here and you kind of, you know, go and confess it and do your thing. And then, listen, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is wherever you go, you are, an object of, you are an object of God's observation. And God wants to see. He is searching for people that will worship him in spirit and in truth. So think about this. When you leave this place, it, worship is not over. When you get in the car and you're, listen, let's do this one. Let's walk through this one. Uh, you got this to look forward to someday, Gideon. You get in the car to church and you say, honey, where do you want to go? And she goes, I don't care. Where do you want to go? <laughs> and, and, then you, and then you say, well, I don't care. Pick a place. And she goes, if you love me, you know where I'd want to eat. <laughs> mm, you're getting, now you're getting in trouble, right? And then you pick a place. She goes, that's not what I was thinking. <laughs> or she might say, well, I don't want to go there. I want to go here. And you're like, Woman, slam on the brakes. What's wrong with you? Right? That's not worshiping the Lord. Okay? <laughs> that, that attitude of anger, right? Now, now, all joking aside, the reality is we think about worship as being confined here. All right? Uh, let's be honest. Sometimes, uh, I don't, please do not raise your hands. Parents, don't do this. But on the way to church, kids are fighting in the back. Listen, my dad, when I was Mrs. Schleer, I don't know where she's at. Where are you at, Mrs. Schleer? Is she in here? Oh, she's teaching. That's right. Uh, she, w- she knew some about my life growing up. Uh, well, she was uh, our youth group uh, helper and all that kind of stuff when I was a kid. And I, when I was on the way to church, I remember sometimes me and my brother fighting. And my dad, listen, this is old school. I recognize some of you aren't like this. He didn't even look. It was like, hey, guess I got it. He's going to hit. He's going to hit something. And that's all that mattered to him, right? You know, basically saying, shut up, boys, you know. And then you get to church and you get your Bible like, oh, Let's be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. You know, you're like, huh, look at me. I'm like kind of floating with my Bible. Like, that's not how you got to church. Can, can I encourage you to try something well, seriously about this? You know what Saturday is for me? My kids know this. My wife knows this. I'm, they'll talk to me, and it's not because I don't love them, but my mind is, is on Sunday. Now, I recognize that my calling is different than yours. I get that. But I wish more Christians would treat the day before church a little bit. I don't know. I'm not saying take a Sabbath or anything weird like that. I'm just saying maybe like a little more thought than just like rolling into church at 10.05 and like cartwheeling out of the car and throwing yourself in a chair and going, bless me if you can, preacher. (laughs) Like, Like maybe prepare yourselves because that's part of worship. Now, if somebody got up and they sang a special and they got up and they go, I don't know the words, so someone help me out. You'd be like, well, why didn't you prepare? Why didn't you practice? All right. L- look, when it comes to the Christian life, your, your life, you're literally moving around every single moment of your life. And it should be a moment of worship. 
Think about the hours and minutes of your, uh, the, the seconds. Of your, I'm not, look, I'm not trying to make you lose your mind here and go, ah, that means I can't eat and, and I, can't, I can't watch a TV show. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But if you're in the right frame of mind, you know what you do when you sit down and watch something? Would God be pleased with this? They didn't say you get, get rid of your TV or anything weird like that. You know, if you're going to sit down and, you know, scroll for an hour, does God want me doing this? And if I'm watching stuff, is it something that's going to be good for this vessel? Uh, when I'm sitting down and talking with somebody, and I say, hey, did you notice what so-and-so said? Can I tell you, that's not worship. Now, Christians, here's what you do. I know, I know you guys. You're my bunch. I love you guys. Here's what you do. You get over some of the outward things. You get over the, you know, getting hammered on the weekends. And you get over, you know, you're married now. So you're not doing the stuff you used to do. And, and, and life is better now. And so you're, you go, when we talk about sin and we talk about keeping your vessel clean, automatically you're like, nope, I don't smoke, drink, chew, and run with them that do. I ain't, not, you know, okay, fine. But what about all this other stuff? What about envy? Someone goes on vacation. Huh. Huh. Whoa. Whoa. You see what pictures they took? Ooh, that must, wonder how much that trip cost. <laughs> wonder if they skipped tithing this month just to take that trip. <laughs> or could you just say, praise God, they got to go. Amen. You don't realize, you don't, you see, this is the thing. Christians kind of divorce themselves. I think it's an easy thing to do as a human being. You compartmentalize and go, well, that's church life. No, you're walking on holy ground everywhere you go because you bring the holy with you. And so the Lord's trying to get across to her. It's not about, listen to me, it's not just about the place. I realize we live in a day and age where people don't respect church enough, and they should be taught some fundamentals about how to behave in church and all that kind of stuff. The Bible talks about that in Timothy, how thou dost behave thyself in the house of God, and the household of God, and all that kind of stuff. But, but I'm going to tell you right now, as it relates to your Christian life, it's not just about this place. It, it's about you. You being of, of a spirit of worship wherever you go. Now, uh, clearly he leaves out for, I believe it's in verse 24, uh, there's, there's two elements that have to be, uh, uh, they're not, uh, where's Dion? Where's Dion? There you are. Okay, so I'm not a mechanic, okay? You know that. <laughs> you know that, all right? So uh, why are you guys laughing anyways? Uh, so I, I basically, if I go to do something, my kids like, I, if I have a tool in my hand, they're like, Dad, what are you doing? You know, and who are you going to have to call after you do what you do to fix it? Um, you can't just have a, a positive post on a battery. Is that right? You got to have a negative one. And you can't just have a negative one. You have to have the po- they complement. They they're not in competition. They, it's just like men and women. We complement each other. Uh, someone told me I work a lot with manufacturing. You know what they're doing now with parts? Uh, they're no longer saying male and female because you can't do that. Now it's positive and negative. I'm like, who got the negative? <laughs> Anyways, uh, so to move things forward in life, you've got to have both. And, and oftentimes, again, kind of being where we're at in Christianity today, everyone wants everything. Po- you can't have everything positive. And it can't also just always just be about emotions. There, there has to be a balance to it. Now, I know some people that show zero emotion all the time, and I would say to them, hey, it's okay to smile in church. And, and it's okay to say amen. It's okay to breathe a little bit and enjoy the Christian life. Uh, but, but there's a balance to all this. You know, he mentions spirit and truth. Look at John chapter 16. John chapter 16. He mentions spirit and truth. 
They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? Why, God is a spirit. Look at John. And by the way, that uh, uh, article there, uh, a spirit, is very important. Uh, Some Bibles take the word a, that's a one-letter word, right? They take the letter a out, the word a out, and it reads like this, God is spirit. Well, that's a problem. Uh, And if you study history and you understand there were people that said that Jesus Christ did not rise again from the dead uh, physically, but rather spiritually. Uh, John, the author of uh, not just the Gospel of John, but when he writes later the 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he talks about this being the spirit of Antichrist and marking it by those that don't believe that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Right? He didn't just come as a spirit. A spirit, as he says hath not flesh and bones as you see me have, right? Uh, God is not just spirit. He is a spirit, but not just spirit. Look at John chapter 16, and look, if you would, at verse number uh, 13. Now, let me just mark, mark this down. When someone says, the Spirit of God told me, and then fill in the blank, and whatever they say doesn't match the Bible, you know they're not telling the truth. Now, I'm not saying that they may, they may actually believe it. I'm not even saying they're trying to lie, but just know for yourself, it's not true. It's not the right spirit anyways. Look at what it says in John 16, 13. How be it when he, look at his title, the spirit of what? The spirit of truth is come. He will guide you into what? All right, so if you learn something at church today, it's not because of Pastor Adrian's great teaching skills, maybe in spite of those skills, it's because the Spirit of God imparts unto you that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When something is said to you, whether it's in church or out in the world, you ought to be able to hear that and allow the Spirit of God to interpret it by the Word of God and say, yep, that's right, or no, it's not. Yes, I'll add that to my life. Yes, I'm going to put that into practice. Or no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to go in that direction. All right? He'll guide us in all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. He will show you things to come. Go back to John chapter 4. You say, what are we getting at? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's two things coming together. And they can't live apart from each other and move you forward in the Christian life. Uh, the spirit and truth work together. It's not an either or, it's an and thing, all right? Uh, John chapter 4, look at verse number 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what that means? That means that when you approach God, you need to approach him honestly. Last week, we did the Lord's Supper, and one of the the things that we emphasize here at this church is we're, we're not passing judgment on a church that wants to do it this way. But we don't do closed communion. Now, you say some churches do. I don't. I think there's some great churches that do it. I understand why they do it. I'm not against them. I'm just going to tell you the reason I don't have a good conscience about it is simply because of this. Because in the passage, it doesn't say the church is going to identify you. In the passage, it says, let every man examine. And so you are supposed to look at that thing and go, okay, am I, number one, saved and number two, am I right with God? That's the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, whether you're saved, and, and if you don't discern the Lord's body as a Christian, you know what that means? It doesn't mean you're lost. It means you, you're, not, you're not really paying attention to what he did for you, and you're doing your own thing. In a lot of that, you're not right with the Lord. So you know what you're supposed to do? Examine yourself. 
All right. If a lost person approaches the Lord's Supper and they take part of it when they shouldn't, you say, what's the problem? They're not discerning the Lord's body. They need to examine themselves. There's heavy emphasis placed on that. And the idea is this. When you come before the Lord, whether you're in your car, at your house, in your bed, uh, at church, sitting in the chair, whatever you, whatever you might be doing, when you come before the Lord, you, you ought to do, you ought to approach with some honesty. If you came last Sunday and you weren't right with God, you're not supposed to not partake. If you're saved, you should partake, but you should get things cleared up first. You know what that takes? A little bit of introspection. You know what he says? They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You come to church and you've got bitterness in your heart. If that's you, you're not going to get anything out of church. You're going to physically be there, but man, you're going to be bound up. It's kind of like, and I know some of you don't like the illustration, but it's kind of like being spiritually constipated. And, and, and you need some spiritual ex-lax in the name of Jesus, all right? Uh, so so what, what I'm getting at is this. Worship is not, it's not simply I put on the right clothes. You know, I came to church. I, 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 uh, I got the Bible. I got the right Bible. You know, I'm, I'm shaking hands. I'm doing all the outward stuff. Praise God for all that. But let me just say it goes beyond that. It goes to your heart. And where are you? Where's your heart? Where's your mind? Like, I think some people come to church and they, they kind of come with the attitude of like, okay, I'm here, who's going to serve me? And instead of coming with the attitude of how can I be of service? Now listen, when you first get saved, you're, you may not be in a position to do a whole lot of service, but you know what I love? I love seeing people come to church and, and they maybe didn't get saved all that long ago and they go, I, I want to do something. I think God gets, a, even if they're not ready to teach a class, and they may, they're probably not going to be ready to teach a class, God gets a blessing out of seeing that heart. You say, what is that? That's worship. Look at Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Isaac Maldonado came into the the church and was trying to get some coffee and dropped a bunch of stuff and was making a mess. And I said, bro, I saw you. Nobody else did, but you just lost some cool points. And I'm picking on Isaac right now because what I'm about to say, and what I'm about to say is this, you should be ready and willing to give up your Isaac. Now, uh, if Anita was here, I'd have to explain what I mean by that, all right? That doesn't mean get, get rid of your son. Uh, now, it did for Abraham, but I want to ask you a question. You're not ready to worship. You're not ready to worship, not real worship, until you come to a place where you go, what's the thing I love the most? Am I willing to put it in God's hands? I want to be vulnerable here and tell you a little bit. Uh, you, you raise children, and you raise them as best as you can. And then you have to let them go. And you know, I, I keep finding myself doing as a dad, especially of girls that are going out there in the world. And I know they're going to good places, good colleges, Bible schools, all that stuff. I have to go, Lord, they're yours. They're not mine. You let me borrow them for a number of years. Thank you for that. But they're yours. And when I find myself arguing with God about something, it's oftentimes it's, a, it's an argument about whether something is mine or whether something is his. You watch those kids in the nursery, and you know what those kids in the nursery will do? <laughs> mine! You know what's amazing? I've never watched a parent go, okay, when a kid comes up and tries to grab your toy, you grab it really hard, squeeze it, and go, mine! No, parents just have to do that. That's natural. Do you know what you have to teach the kids to do? Hey, give that up. Don't be selfish. You tell the kids all the time, the world's not all about you. We say these things to kids all the time. 
And as adults, as a 42-year-old man, you got to look in the mirror and go, it's not all about you. Uh, God goes to Abraham and uh, he says, Abraham, I, I want you to do something. I know you've prayed for this for years and you asked me for this for years and I finally gave it to you and I fulfilled my promise. But Abraham, I want you to take your son. Look at verse 2. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Isaac in the Bible is spelled I-S-A-A-C. Just pointing that out. All right. Take thy son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And if you follow the story, what you find out is that's the same place as where Mount Calvary takes place and Jesus Christ is crucified. There's great pictures going on here. But, but notice in verse 3, can I ask you a question? If you're Abraham, don't you want to ask some questions here? How is it whenever God shows up to most Christians today, it's like God's going to give me this and God's going to give me that. It's never like God showed up to me and there's some things I need to get rid of in my life. <laughs> you ever notice that? You, someone gets on, you know, TV and, you know, God, I have this vision. And the vision was God's going to give me this and God's going to give me that. Uh, it's different than what you read in the Bible. You know, God goes to Abraham and goes, hey, are you my friend? You know how you define friendship? You can define friendship. You can know someone's your friend when they're willing to give something up that they love for you. And, and, and notice here, Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told them. You know, I would encourage you, if you're ever reading uh, uh, Genesis 22, underline the phrase, the place, the place, the place, the place. It shows up over and over and over. Now on the third day, verse 4, third day is significant in your Bible, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and... First time it shows up in the Bible. There's no band, there's no music, there's no church building. Do you know what it is? It's someone taking the thing that they love the most and going, God, this is yours. Are you ready to worship this morning? Now, now I'll, I'll tell you what, a church, you want to see a church on fire for God? You get 100 people in a place that literally say to God, God, it's all yours. And you'll see the Spirit of God move. You don't see revival in a church. It doesn't happen because someone laid their hands on somebody and someone spoke in tongues. That's not what happens. You know how you see revival in a church? You see revival in a church when people go home and go, God, I'm laying it all out here. This is why I've been holding on to this. This is why I've been holding on to this. This is why I won't let go of that relationship. This is why I won't let go of that thought. This is why I won't let go of that bitterness. Here's why I won't let go of that money. Here's why I want to hold on to this. And you go, Lord, you know what? I'm tired of doing that. My hands are tired. My spirit's tired. I want you to have what's rightfully yours. Lord, I yield to you. You'll see, you, you see that with 100 people coming to church at one time? You'll see revival. You say, why? Because that's when real worship happens. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's go back to John chapter 4. Both of those elements have to be there. John chapter 4, look at verse number 22. Because the Lord says something very curious here. John chapter 4. You know why I like going verse by verse? Because you cover every subject in the world that there is. I mean, you just, everything's laid out for you. That's why, and I love the gospel of John. When someone gets saved in our church, I always tell them, read John first. I love it when I get the text message, and I, I can't wait for it. I, it's one of my favorite text messages in the world to get. I just read John. What's next? 
And it's like, okay, well, you know, I, I encourage you to read Romans, a lot of doctrine there. And then they get to Romans. Okay, I just finished Romans. What's next? And then the, the thing that they all dread, start in Genesis and work your way through. <laughs> and when you get to Leviticus, you want to shoot yourself, call me, I'll help you out, you know. Uh, John chapter number four, look if you would at verse number 22. Ye worship, ye know not what. Now let me just say this much. I would say this is where a lot of people are at today. They don't really know what they're doing with worship. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. Now he says something here uh, that's really curious for salvation is of the Jews. Now I know some of this is repetition for some of you, uh, but it's important to note this, that not, I'll say it this way. Everything in the Bible was written uh, for you, but not everything in the Bible was written to you. Right? You, can, you can get something out of any passage of Scripture. It doesn't mean that everything is written to you. All right? uh, we, you've been through this many times, but there are three groups of people in the Bible that God will ever address in the Scriptures. The Jew, the Gentile. This is Israel as a nation, the people of Israel. Everybody else in the world physically. This is physical distinctions, right? Jew, Gentile. That's why in Galatians, talking about spiritually being a part of the body of Christ, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, he says. That's a spiritual thing. He says there's also in Galatians, by the way, it's everything the world wants, you find it in Jesus Christ. So the world says there's no men, there's no women, there's no races. You know what God says? In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female. Everything the world's trying to do right now, but the wrong way can be had in Jesus Christ. The right way. All right? but, but physically speaking, there are distinctions. There's the nation of Israel. Then there's everybody else. All right? And then there's this third group, and it's a spiritual body made up of born-again believers, the church. Now, why do I point this out? Uh, Because when you read something like uh, what you just read, salvation is of the Jews, people will sometimes go to Romans 2, where it talks about spiritual Jews, and go, see, that's what it's really talking about. No, it's not. It's talking about the physical nation of Israel. Starts with Abraham. I'm going to go through some scripture in a moment. Abraham, God shows up to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he says, uh, Leave thy father's house and get thee into a land that I will show thee. And Abraham leaves. And you know the story. He has his son, the promised son Isaac. And if you're not familiar with Genesis 22, spoiler alert, read it later. Abraham does not kill his son. God intervenes and says, I've seen enough. You, you did what I needed you to do. We're good. Let's move on. Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob bears uh, 12 sons, the nation of Israel. Now that, when we talk about salvations of the Jews, that's what we're talking about. All right, uh, look if you would at uh, John chapter, uh, let's see here. No, Romans, Romans chapter 10, Romans 10. Romans 10. I saw an interesting argument take place the other day uh, between two people trying to argue two positions, both Christian. And uh, no, nobody from our church. I I feel like I have to give that disclaimer. If I was watching two people from our church argue, I probably would intervene, okay? Uh, But that was not the case. Two people, I just kind of know them from a distance. And so they're going back and forth on this thing. And and this lady, her last ditch argument, she was kind of uh, in above, you know, kind of uh, over, uh, what what am I trying to say here? In the weeds, uh, in over her head. That's probably the right term. And uh, her last ditch effort, because she didn't agree with what the guy was saying, was, well, I take the words of Jesus over the words of Paul. Listen, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. They don't compete. They complement each other. All right. This is Paul writing, but under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look what Paul says in chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? Now, the reason I'm trying to teach you this is there are some groups that say that God is completely done with Israel. The church replaces Israel. And when God talks about salvation being of the Jews, what that really means is he's talking about the church. That's not true, guys. That, has, that is not biblically sound. All right. 
Uh, look what Paul says. If every reference to Israel in your Bible in the New Testament was spiritual Israel, verse 1 of chapter 10 of Romans makes no sense at all. His prayer for Israel, which happens to be his own people, is that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which means until they do that, they're what? Lost, just like everyone else. That's where the New Testament shifts a little bit. Uh, The standard is no longer the the law, but now it's a person named Jesus Christ. Now, uh, look at uh, verse number uh, two. For I bear them record, Israel, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. All right, again, spirit has to work with truth. Did you get that? They got zeal, but not knowledge. That's why real worship is based on both of those things working hand in hand. It's not just, well, I'm excited. Well, I'm glad you're excited, but that excitement needs to be based on truth. All right, look at uh, verse number uh, four. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Two, what's the next two words? Everyone. Listen, salvation today is for the entire world, Jew and Gentile alike, and you come through Christ. However, the channel for how salvation came into this world, do you know what it, what it came through? It came through the nation of Israel. Jesus Christ was, in fact, a Jew. All right? Uh, look, if you would, at Romans 11. Romans 11, verse number 1. Romans 11, verse 1. I say, then have God cast away his people? What are the next two words? God forbid. God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. He gives you his entire uh, uh, kind of pedigree there in regards to where he fits in the nation of Israel. God hath not cast away, what are the next two words? His people. All right? That's not talking about the church. That is a physical nation. There are promises to Israel that have not yet been fulfilled. Look at uh, verse number 25, same chapter, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to what? Until the fullness of the Gentiles uh, be come in. Now, now, basically what you have is this. God's dealing with one nation back here, and all the Old Testament primarily is focused on that one nation. There are prophecies to Moab and to Egypt and all these things, but really the majority of the scriptures in the Old Testament is written about and to the nation of Israel. And the prophets would rise up whenever the people of God, God told them, I'm going to put you in your land, and I'm going to place you in that land. And the land today is called after the name of the 12 tribes, uh, 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 the, the, the sons of Jacob, also known as Israel. All right, that's what the land is called after. But here's what he says, I'm going to give you the land. If you worship me, I'll bless your land, I'll bless your seed, I'll bless everything that you touch. If you turn your back on me and worship the gods of the heathen around you and become basically like everybody else, then I'm going to spew you. Those are his words, not mine. Spew, that's like vomiting. I'm going to vomit you, spew you out of the land, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a, 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 an off-scarring to the world. You'll be rejected, and every nation you go to, you will be not reckoned among them. That's what he says. All right, so guess what happens? They do exactly that. Then their Messiah shows up. All right, and what happens with their Messiah? Crucify him. He's cut off. Daniel, Messiah is cut off. All right, that's the prophecy from Daniel. All right, so uh, they say, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. You know what he comes to do? He comes to offer them a kingdom, and they reject it. And so uh, look at Luke chapter, Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one. Um, yeah, Luke chapter number, yeah, one, verse number, I think 68 or something in there. Luke chapter one. Luke one. 
And look, if you would, at verse number, yeah, verse number 68. This is uh, Zechariah, after he was filled with the Holy Ghost, um, and he speaks, and uh, they named the child John and all that. Uh, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed. What are the next two words? All right, so there is, when it comes to physical nations, understand this. God is still going to call Israel his people, all right? Now, what you have to understand is this. When Paul's writing to Christians, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile because you came through Christ. But when it comes to God's plan for the ages, uh, God's not done with Israel. And understand this as well. When he says salvation is of the Jews, it does not mean, go to Romans 2, it does not mean that only Jews can be saved. It means that salvation is of, it came through Israel, their Messiah was a Jewish Messiah to fulfill promises to the nation of Israel about a physical kingdom that would come down this earth through that Messiah. Romans 2, and and notice what the Lord says here. And you're going to find this over and over and over in Paul's writings, especially in in Romans. Romans chapter number 2, verse number, uh, that's a good one, but that is not it. Um, I'm looking for to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he does a couple times, I believe it's there in that chapter, but if not, go to Romans, uh, go to First Corinthians chapter 1, First Corinthians chapter 1, there's another spot. Was it one sixteen? All right, go to Romans 1, all right, go to Romans 1, I was one chapter off, sorry about that, guys. Romans chapter 1, thank you, verse number 16, it was my favorite verse as a teenager, I should have known that. Uh, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. You see that? Salvation. To who? All right, then look what he says, to the Jew first. Now, that doesn't mean that, that like, they get like, a special place in salvation. I mean, they get salvation just like anyone else would. What he's saying is this. It should be going to them first. Why? Because without that nation, you don't have the Messiah. <laughs> and that's the recognition that Jesus Christ has given. When he's talking, what he, says, what, he, what he says there in John 4, and he says salvation is of the Jews, it's not that it would only be for them forever. On the contrary, anyone can be saved. Uh, but to the Jew first. Why to the Jew first? B- because the Jew is the one that brought, the, the nation of Israel brought us the Messiah. Look at Romans chapter 3. You're really close there. There are two things that really, uh, as Paul says, we ought to see ourselves as debtors in regards to a nation. Uh, there are two things we ought to see ourselves debtors to Israel for. One is the Messiah. And you go, well, they killed the Messiah. Okay, well, well that, that's true, and God's going to deal with that, but salvation still came from them because, because Jesus Christ was of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and he's of David's line. He's going to sit on the throne of David in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 3 and look at verse 1. What advantage then hath the what? This is a physical Jew. Or what profit is there of circumcision? That's not spiritual, it's physical. For much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the what? The oracles of God. You know what you're indebted to Israel for? The Messiah? And secondly, the Bible. Every book in your Bible is written by Jews. You know that? Now, the reason Paul gives the warnings that he does in Romans 11 is because it's very easy for us to go, well, I'm saved, I'm part of the body of Christ. They are, they are the, you know, quote-unquote Christ killers. Let me tell you something right now. Watch that kind of language. Uh, because the real truth is this, it wasn't them as much Jesus Christ as I'm going to lay my life down. No one's going to take it from me. And secondly, if you want to know what really put them on the cross, it wasn't Jews, it was your sin. Now, I know as a nation they're going to pay for what they... I get all that. I understand that. Prophetically, that's why 
over here, uh, after the rapture of the church, uh, the fullness of the Gentiles uh, be come in. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. There's the rapture. After the rapture, you know what the Bible calls this over there in Jeremiah chapter 30? The great tribulation. You know what it's called? It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. You know, what, you know who Jacob is? Jacob is Israel. These names are synonymous. So they're going to pay for that. We understand that. But God's going to, at the end of all of that, bring restoration to Israel when he sets up his kingdom on this earth. All right. So there's a lot in that verse. Uh, I probably didn't hit all of it, but here's what I want you. Here's some highlights. Uh, let's not forget God's plan for Israel in the long run. Never, I don't care where you're at and politically, never align yourself with anti-Semites. Don't do it. All right. It's a really bad move. Um, uh, God doesn't smile on that. Uh, and, and lastly, understand this. Understand that God can use people who don't always respond the right way to what God is doing. If you want God to use you, you know what you need to do? Respond the right way to what God's doing through you. God gave Israel a chance that he didn't give any other nation. Uh, the old saying is this, you know, Israel is the only nation that God ever chose. And you can, some say this, America is the only nation that ever chose God. You can see that in some of our roots uh, historically. But, but God chose Israel. And he chose them to bring us the Messiah and give us the word of God. Uh, go back to John 4. John 4 as we wrap up. John chapter 4. And we're going to talk a little bit more uh, next time about the phrase, uh, the hour cometh and now is. So next Sunday we'll talk about that. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship this Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship. And we're going to talk about what that hour is. And when she finally gets a hold of the fact that he is the Christ, what does that word mean? The word Christ. And we're going to dive into, uh, uh, again, some things about the Messiah. Because you're going to see, look at verse uh, 25. Uh, look at verse 25. You're going to see that Messiah and Christ are somewhat interchangeable. All right, they're they're names that have a very similar meaning. So let's stop right there. Uh, let's all stand. Hope you learned something this morning. Stand. We'll stretch a little bit. Uh, we'll close in a word of prayer, and uh, we are going to uh, in the main service. Uh, we are going to to learn about uh, uh, the fact that old ways should not just be seen as old ways, uh, but maybe more like vintage. Right. So we'll learn about that this morning. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Uh, Joe, good to have you back. Would you close in a word of prayer, sir?